0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Acorn TV. Acorn TV is brilliant television told brilliantly. From charmingly cozy mysteries to daringly dark dramas. Visit acorn.tv for a 30-day free trial with promo code NPR. Acorn TV. Brilliant. I'm Glenn Weldon. The Pop Culture Happy Hour team is off today, so we're bringing you an episode of NPR's It's Been a Minute. Host and our pal, Brittany Luce, recently spoke with our other pal, Trey Anderson. They recently published a book called We See Each Other. It's about the complicated history of trans representation in TV and film. Here's Brittany.
1: If you've seen Paris is Burning, you remember this iconic scene.
0: Shade comes from reading. Shade is, I don't tell you you're ugly, but I don't have to tell you because you know you're ugly.
1: And if you've seen Pose, you can't help but quote this line. If you walk out that door, you
2: might as well be walking as an Evangelista because I only raise winners.
1: And then even if you haven't seen Legendary, you have got to know this one. Dramatics in the performance was zero. My score today is going to be a four. If you haven't put it together yet, today we're looking at trans representation in TV and film.
2: Representation has its good parts. It's got its bad parts. When we only focus on the good, we never really contend with the state and reality of how we are moving through the world.
1: My guest is Trayvel Anderson, a reporter who has covered the margins of pop culture for over a decade. They just published a new book, We See Each Other, A Black Trans Journey Through TV and Film. It's a series of essays that weave together history, personal stories, and some of TV and film's most memorable moments. Today, we're talking the on-screen hits and misses, the drag queens hidden in plain sight, and the women who revolutionized how we see the trans community on screen and in real life. Travel Anderson, welcome to It's Been a Minute. Hi, Brittany. Thanks for having me. It's absolutely my pleasure. This is a book about representation. Mm -hmm. You assert that asking the question, when is the first time you saw yourself on screen is a quote unquote sham of a question. (laughs) I cackled when I read that on the page and I loved your explanation, but could you please tell us why do you think that is? Why do you say that? I think
2: when we always have conversations about representation, particularly in a post Oscar So White world, mm-hmm, right? This question mm-hmm, is like the leading question. When was the first time you saw yourself on screen? But I actually think we're doing ourselves and the multiplicity of our identities a disservice because for me, as somebody who is a non binary person of trans experience, the images that reflected who I was, say, when I was four, mm-hmm. are not the images that reflect who I am today, right? And when we say, when's the first time that you saw yourself on screen, it prevents us from asking and finding out, like, the real information that I think is useful in these conversations.
1: hmm you referred to that version of yourself as the me I am today. Mm -hmm. You had seen glimpses of who that person could be, but the me I am today, you were saying that you, you still haven't quite seen any one person who is just like, you know, point blank period you. You write about though, people who serve as what you call possibility models. I love that term. Those who may offer maybe an aspect of representation that speaks mm-hmm. to you, um, not the total picture, but a glimpse of someone who has an aspect to their, to their being that's getting at something that you could imagine for yourself. Mm-hmm. I'm so fascinated by that framing, possibility model. Talk to us about the utility of a possibility model and, and what that means.
2: Yeah. It's like an alternative to role model right mm-hmm. and i think it's a rejection of role model because role model presupposes that like this is this is the specific way that one is to embody this particular career this particular identity and the reality is all of those people who we might be looking at as role models they're just actually showing you one way one possible way right, of being an actor, one possible way of being a journalist, one possible way, right, of being a chef. But there are so (laughs) many other possible ways as well. And because, at least for me, I feel like so much of the work that I've been doing is about creating opportunities and existences out of the depths of my imagination, (laughs) possibility is more useful for me Than a particular role. And so Mm. I talk about Noah and Noah's Ark and Miss J. Alexander from ANTM and Andre Leon Talley um, because they did show me in various ways pieces, right, that I've now been able to, you know, throw all in a pot of okra soup, (laughs) a nice little gumbo situation, Mm -hmm. right, to create who I am
1: today. Mm -hmm. It's like about creation rather than conforming. Absolutely. Mm. The first chapter of your book gets into the legacy of Medea. For those who are, may not be familiar, Medea is Tyler Perry's popular and very profitable drag character. I guess nobody told you that I'm Medea. Mud
2: to the damn D E A. You understand that? And what I want, I
1: get. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. I wasn't expecting to see her name along the journey of this book, but mm-hmm. the discussion was so thoughtful. What part does the character of Medea and, and other drag personas by black male comedians? Uh, and for people who really may not understand, I, I'm not talking about RuPaul's drag race when I say mm-hmm. drag personas in this instance. I mean like Martin Lawrence in Big Mama's House or mm-hmm. Eddie Murphy as you know Mama Clump in, in mm-hmm. the Nutty Professor. What part does that kind of drag persona by a Black male comedian play in the Black trans journey through TV and film? Yeah, I can
2: only speak about my lived experience, and that was an experience that that was filled with a whole lot of Tyler Perry plays, okay, um, <laughs> back in the day. And as I have, you know, come into my own journey, I've begun to see that the jokes that get lodged at a media are the mm-hmm. exact same jokes, quote-unquote jokes, that get mm. thrown at Black trans women and femmes, right? <laughs> they're jokes about our physicality. They're, they're jokes about our big hands, our broad shoulders, our hairy faces. And noticing that leads me to think about the ways in which that comedic fodder often does manifest as, right, the very real world violence that Black trans women and films are experiencing. And so, your jokes, Dave Chappelle, your jokes do cause violence, but we don't talk about it that way, right? We think that it's just fun and games. But in a world right now in which drag, is being banned. Right. Where are the straight men who are now famous for their drag characters? But we don't think of Tyler Perry as Medea as a drag queen. Mm. We don't think of Robin Williams as Mrs. Doubtfire as a drag performance, right? Mm. And I wonder mm-hmm. why that is. I have a theory and how that. Logically follows to the ways that we as Black trans women and femmes in particular are are disproportionately experiencing the violences that our communities are facing.
1: You say you have a theory. Can you share a theory, <laughs> or is it still cooking? My it is still cooking,
2: but you know part part of me writing this book was about getting out some ideas for the sake of conversation and discourse. So I'll share. I don't mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My theory goes back to reading about the era of vaudeville performances in particular. Mm. And on a great big battleship you'd like to be Working a chambermaid and <laughs> And how when you look at the archive of reporting at that time that was documenting what was going on, there was always so much attention paid to the difference in identity between the person on stage that you see performing and the person off stage they always made sure to like tell us right that when he's off stage he's a man's man he's throwing back drinks he's you know having all these you know skirmishes with people he's such a man's right. man right as a means of to be clear right dissociating the straight man from mm-hmm. any sort of idea or or sniff of homosexuality. And so I think now about the ways in which all of these people have gotten away with sort of kind of saying that these characters are inspired by the real Black women in their lives... Not necessarily always paying attention to how many of these images are stereotypical and, you know, perpetuate so many, you know, anti-Black and anti-woman violences against Black women. But, you know, we can get to that later. And then on top of that, the fact that they have the luxury of taking off the wig and distancing themselves from those characters when they want to, distancing themselves from the communities that those characters may be conflated for, and here we are.
1: Hmm. And you tied a lot of things together just now. You really, really did. You tied a lot of things together, just, and also just—you know—my mind be running, Brittany. No, no, no. no. <laughs> it seems very possible and very likely that that same dynamic inherent in that vaudeville performance. Has carried through over 100 years Mm -hmm. to today. Like you said, the same jokes, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. comments, remarks that are supposed to be funny that are being made in the entertainment realm are, you know, funneling right back into how actual Black trans people are treated in real life. You still have a lot of like positive association and fond memories, right, with family Mm -hmm. relating not just to the films of a Medea, but even like in some ways you relate to to some of Medea's (laughs) character traits, right? Yes. Uh, Medea is a figure that we, you and I specifically, and also many Black people, you know, in this country Mm -hmm. around the world have cultural ties to. How do we, I guess, reconcile those two things? How do we recognize how much harm that that the proliferation of that stereotype does to the Black trans community and Black queer people in general.
2: You know, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. I believe in my people, (laughs) right? I feel like oftentimes, you know, particularly when we criticize Black art, there's this expectation that, like, you can only love it or hate it. Hmm. And I reject that and say I love and hate it. At the same time, because it's it's complex, you know, it's 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 nuanced. And I think we again do ourselves a disservice when we don't wrestle hmm. with things, when we subscribe to some sort of binary, right, that erases everything that's in the middle where the truth most ultimately lies, right? I'm always quoting Medea. Hmm. I think the best way to, for me, show that care is by seriously grappling with both the intention and also the impact of whatever is out there.
1: Coming up, we delve into the world of reality television and the actress who left such a strong mark on TV that she deserves an entire chapter.
0: This Mother's Day, treat mom to Osea's limited-edition skincare sets. Go to OseaMalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.
2: When the economic news gets to be a bit much... Listen
1: to The Indicator from Planet Money.
2: We're here for you, like your friends, trying to figure out all the most confusing parts. One story, one idea every
1: day, all in 10 minutes or less.
0: The Indicator from Planet Money, your friendly
1: economic sidekick. From NPR. The Embedded Podcast brings you eye opening reporting.
2: There's something that hasn't been disclosed yet.
1: Immersive journalism. I could smell the smoke, I could smell the dust. Personal stories. I was scared. Like, I can't protect you. We are NPR's home for documentary storytelling. Find Embedded wherever you get your podcasts. I want to turn to the world of reality television. A lot of your book explores the landscape of trans representation in the reality TV space. Mm
2: -hmm. From
1: Isis King on America's Next Top Model to Zeke Smith on Survivor. You say that reality TV has given us some of the quote, Best and most varied unquote representations of black and trans folks on TV. Why would you say best and most varied? Like what what's behind that? And also what is it about the structure of reality TV that that makes that variety so robust in your mind?
2: there's just more varied representation of the different types of black trans women that you can beat from and, mm-hmm. you know, ISIS King on America's next top model and the way she navigated, you know, the two seasons that she did that show to a mm-hmm. Laomi Maldonado. If you watched America's best dance crew back in the day, she was a contestant in a group called Vogue Evolution on that show. Lil Mama mm-hmm. was a judge on that show There was a moment in which Laomi, expressing her frustration by the nature of the competition, storms off.
1: My heart really wants to be here, but in a way I'm not happy. The fact that I have fans out there, you know, I'm the face of transgender. That's what keeps me motivated.
2: And Lil Mama uses that moment to essentialize womanhood and to tell Hmm. Laomi that she's not being a good representative of her trans community because she was angry.
1: Right, um, right, and she didn't, and little mama did not put it as you put it. She did not. She used some pretty coarse language.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes, and 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 it it obviously was a different time, quote unquote. You know, folks like to say that. You know, and all of that. And she did apologize, right? And then you have a Laverne Cox on I Want to Work for Diddy, right? Before she was on Orange Is the New Black,
1: right? It's
2: just more it's just more options, mm-hmm. more ways, right, to see black trans womanhood show up and then on the scripted side of things, it's a very finite list of types of characters that we've seen thus far.
1: Hmm. hmm. Now, somebody who has done so much work, I think on screen and off screen to hold space for these conversations about representation, a lot over the past 10 to 15 years, is uh, somebody who got their start in reality TV, Laverne Cox. Mm -hmm. When I think about Laverne Cox, I also think of her as somebody who's holding a lot of space in public for having conversations Mm -hmm. about representation, about Black and trans representation and what it means. You dedicate a chapter in the book to Laverne Cox. And I think that she's very interesting for a lot of reasons, but specifically for a sort of turning point that it it almost seems that she represents in a timeline, right? Mm -hmm. Going from a person who's appearing on reality television to becoming, you know, an award-winning actress. Mm -hmm. I want to know why you wanted to dedicate an entire chapter to her and in what way she may represent to you a turning point for the culture.
2: Yeah. I mean- I always go back to Nick Adams, who is the Director of Transgender Media and Representation at GLAAD. He says there is a pre-Laverne era in terms of the type of conversations and work that GLAAD was asked to do and post-Laverne, hmm. right? Post that role, Sophia Bursette on Orange is the New Black. It wasn't a man dressed up in a wig, right, playing a trans woman. But Laverne Cox, she was a doll on screen and she was a doll on the red carpet.
1: Hmm.
2: Her visibility, her physical presence shifted things because it had to. For many people, Laverne Cox was the first trans person that they saw on screen. The pressure, the burden, that which Laverne has shouldered over this last decade... It is unspeakable, and yet we need to speak about it.
1: Hmm. You know, in the book, you, you also dedicate some time to someone who isn't a character on TV or film, but absolutely mm-hmm. shaped the way that we think about trans people and their lived realities. Monica Roberts was a trailblazing journalist whose blog TransGrio chronicled the lives and deaths of Black transgender and non-binary folks, and she's credited with changing the way trans people saw themselves reflected in journalism. Black trans people exist. We are more than just tragic transsexuals, and we are definitely capable of leading in this ongoing human rights fight. How do you see this book as continuing the legacy that she started? I put
2: the work that Monica Roberts did into the same conversation as the work that Ida B. Wells did. Yes, you did. And I do that very purposely to acknowledge... The immense barriers that Monica Roberts overcame, which has led to, right, this more inclusive shift we see in terms of the reporting and coverage of trans communities. Because there was a time in which if you read about a trans person in the media, you didn't even know they were trans because they were being misgendered, right? Um, they were being dead named. And Monica Roberts would email news outlets across the country. She would contact news outlets across the country and tell them, you've got it wrong. This is the name they went by. This is how they were were referred to in community. Monica Roberts painted a fuller picture of the Black trans experience, that if we did not have trans griot, the record would be incomplete. Because we would only have the New York Times. We would only have the LA Times. We would only have the Afro-American. She covered culture. She covered, you know, what was happening on the reality shows with Laverne and Isis and Laomi. You know, and Mm -hmm. she was a one-woman show. For me personally, she showed me that I could be both Black and trans and a journalist in an industry Mm. that time and time again tells me and tells us that we must disavow parts of who we are in order to do our jobs objectively.
1: That is a really, really moving tribute. Trayvel. thank you so much for coming on. It's been a minute and talking to me about this book. Thank you for having me. That was my conversation with journalist Trayvel Anderson. Their new book is We See Each Other, a Black Trans Journey Through TV and Film. This episode of It's Been a Minute was produced by Barton Girdwood, Alexis Williams, Liam McBain, Corey Antonio Rose. Our editor is Jessica Placzek. Engineering support came from Kwesi Lee. Our executive producer is Verilyn Williams. Our VP of Programming is Yolanda Sanguini. Our senior VP of Programming is Anya Grundman. All right, that's all for this episode of It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Brittany Luce.
0: Researcher Sasha Lucioni says AI can help us find climate solutions. But just training the technology itself uses a ton of energy. Training ChatGPT, for instance, emits as much carbon as five cars in their lifetime. Tech's climate conundrum. That's on the TED Radio Hour from NPR. On this week's Wild Card, we talk with Issa Rae about those moments where our lives could have
1: gone another direction
2: definitely wasn't supposed to be with that guy at all.
1: At all. But I still think about it. I'm Rachel Martin. Issa Rae tells us how to make peace with the path not taken. That's on the Wild Card Podcast from NPR, the game where cards control the
0: conversation.